Welcome to the Bicultural Podcast. The Bicultural Podcast celebrates cross-cultural identity and gives insight into cultural differences to help you improve business relationships. The podcast is published bi-weekly and is hosted by myself, Janina Neumann, a bilingual creative, social entrepreneur and business owner of Janina Neumann Design. Welcome to the Bicultural Podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Christine Fleming, Head of Digital Content at Charity Comms. Hi, Christine. How are you? Hi, Yanina. Um, I'm great, thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, so, I'm Christine. Um, as you said, I'm the Head of Digital Content at Charity Comms. Um, so, I am lucky enough to get to work with charity communicators every day talking to them about the projects they're working on, the campaigns they're running, um, and helping them think about how they can share their learnings with other charity communicators um, so that we can all get better at strategic comms together as a sector. That's brilliant. And being a member, I just want to say that it's really fantastic, um, all the work that you do, and I particularly enjoy all the workshops as well, because it's sometimes quite rare for creatives to get together and share experiences. And within a charity comms, you also have that really welcoming aspect, which I really enjoy. So that everyone feels welcome, um, no matter what stage they're at in their communication. And I just love to hear more about how you became to be a communicator. Sure, of course. Um, well, I had a slightly different, I guess, route into the sector. Um, I started off as a journalist, um, first working in local news um, and then going on and working on kind of breaking news uh, web live streams. Um, I obviously kind of working in news, I got to see the stories of what was happening around the world on a daily basis. Um, I became really interested in how we tell those stories, especially around kind of big social issues. And that kind of got me thinking about how we could communicate stories better. Uh, I went away and um, so I took a step back from my job and I went and did a master's um, in global media and transnational communications. So I went away and did that and I actually focused looking at um, the narratives that are built around refugees and migrants and how the terms are used in the press. Um, And I looked at a four-year period and how the framing of the situation kind of changed over time and the influence of the particular language that was used by politicians and then reflected in in newsprint um, and then how that potentially could be affecting people's perceptions of refugees and migrants. Um, So I learned a lot there. And when I finished my master's, I was really keen to work with charities and kind of help them think about their messaging and how we can tell the stories that need to be told in a way that truly reflects the people involved. Um, So I was lucky enough uh, to get a job at Charity Comms. So obviously we are a membership organisation 
we help the charity sector kind of fly the flag for strategic comms is how we put it. And we try to connect people in the sector through peer-to-peer sharing, whether that's through writing, um, live events, or kind of networking. And as part of that, I get to kind of apply some of the principles I've learned and some of the thinking I've had the chance to do around how we communicate and talk to others about how they're doing it and how we can share those lessons. Oh, wow. There's so much to unpack there. And I'd just be very interested to first start off with the breaking news um, live streams. That must have felt like a lot of pressure to communicate in a very concise manner. And what are the, some of the things that you learned in, in that environment? Sure. Um, yes, everything moves very fast in news. Um, I was very fortunate in that the places where I worked, um, there was a real focus on speed, but also, you know, accuracy as well um, and kind of getting things right. Uh, a lot of it was kind of thinking about what was happening in that moment, what people needed to know. Um, for a while, I did sort of part of it also involved writing almost like kind of roundups. So that would be pulling together a story so that someone who was coming into it later could catch up on what had happened. Um, It's quite a unique sort of environment to work in, I'd say, breaking news. Um, But it's rewarding and it's interesting. Uh, But it's, yeah, it's quite high-pressured And I mean, I'm sure that's what our charity communicators feel on a daily basis themselves anyway, when they're working on stories that are happening in real time. But I think my key takeaway was, yes, you have to respond quickly, but you also need to make sure that you are responding in a way that reflects the people involved um, and tells the whole story from all the different angles. Yeah, it's a real challenge because also you're um, you're communicating, you know, quite quickly after it happened, but you might not have the full information. So already you have to think about what kind of narrative you want to talk about, and you know that other information might be highlighted later on, and then that might completely change the narrative. So it's it's a very difficult job, I can imagine, as because you don't have everything you know, um, all the information available to you when you need to make that decision and what kind of way you communicate it. Exactly. Um, but I think the thing is, you can you can share what you do know. Yeah. And I think people like the public, they, they understand that, you know, you don't have all the answers. Um, and that's true with any kind of communications role. You know what you know at that moment. And as long as you're being open and sharing that, I think that's what matters. Um, And, you know, having that trust with your audience that you will keep them informed as you know more, but, you know, not trying to kind of just provide answers that you don't have yet. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. And also looking at um, the some of the insights and learnings that you had from your masters what kind of things did you learn and or maybe surprised you through doing the work um in how 
um, the stories are communicated about refugees and migrants? Uh, yeah, um, so I found it fascinating looking into. Um, and one thing that I became kind of really, really fascinated by as part of it was the kind of framing. So how over time a picture is built around people and it's kind of built by the communications that exist around them. Um, and this is something that I know a lot of charities that we work with are kind of looking at the framing effect themselves in their different areas as well. So it is something a lot of people are paying attention to. Um, obviously, my master's just focused on refugees and migrants specifically. Um, and what I found was that over time, the, the language and the visuals that we used to portray the people involved uh, definitely shifted. So at the time, the I think it was the UNHCR were recommending that the term that should be used was the joint term, refugee and migrant, because obviously people who are moving around, uh, it could be a mix. Um, and obviously there are, very, there are different reasons why people do move. Um, and people may be displaced for different reasons and they may fall into different categories. Um, but kind of the joint term was what was recommended. But there had been a shift kind of from when the Alan Kurdi incident happened and then kind of attract then for four four years, looking at segments of what appeared in the press. Um, and essentially, over time, the joint term sort of drifted away. And sometimes you would see just the term refugee used. Sometimes you would just see the term migrant used. But when it shifted to one term or the other, I managed to establish that quite a lot of the language around it also shifted. So there was kind of a trend towards terms that would imply illegality, for example, around kind of migrant, whereas there would be terms which leaned towards more sort of um, deserving of help for refugees, when in actual fact kind of refugees and migrants, obviously they should, when it's a group that is moving, they kind of, you know, it will often be a mix of both and it's not that one is more deserving or than the other, um, not at all. So I think that kind of the language use has a big role to play in that. Um, often what you'd see is, because obviously the press uses quotes a lot, and they often kind of quote politicians um, or kind of public figures. So you'd often see kind of that terms in pub, um, the choice of term was kind of stemming from what was in someone's quote. <laughs> um, so it's kind of a bit of a vicious circle. So if you want to break, if you want to break that narrative, um, I believe that kind of all of us need to be able to sort of stand up and try and counteract it by thinking about how we can be more inclusive 
um, and how we can be more representative and actually kind of talking to the people that are involved and being able to reflect what their real situation is. Mm, gosh, that what, what an what is such an important um, topic, and you know, it's something that is dear to my heart, and I could very easily talk a lot about it. Um, if we think about um, you know those learnings, um, how we communicate um, as charities, perhaps, or other organisations, it's I think we can take the learnings about how. We communicate even in our visual material, for example, how we represent certain groups, um, whether they reinforce certain stereotypes or not. And sometimes we can't see it because we have that bias. And I think it's it's really important then to have people around you who can give you some feedback and say, actually, I perceive it in this way, because such as the term refugee and migrants if you don't have an association with that kind of group, then it's very difficult sometimes for you to understand the impact of kind of the narratives around um, those terms because you're not directly affected by them. But especially if you're trying to um, advocate for a certain group, um, but you don't realise that you're kind of misrepresenting them, then it's it's a different. You're almost going backwards. Um, in that way yes definitely and I mean it's interesting that you mentioned about the visuals as well because obviously telling a story isn't just about the words and the language it's you know kind of including people in the story um, the visuals that you use also have a real impact and there's some really interesting work going on at the moment around that um, so one of our members the Centre for Aging Better um, they are, they've released um, a, a visual library, which is more reflective of kind of what it looks like to be aging. Um, so, and that's a free to access library. Um, and that's interesting in itself as well, because it's helping to shift what people perceive as aging. So it's kind of stepping away from maybe the images you would have seen in the past um, where, you know, it's, you know, kind of older people's hands, like a close-up of wrinkly hands to represent age. And it's showing, you know, kind of people as they are aging, really enjoying their lives and, you know, kind of dancing and having fun and, you know, full of life. Um, So that's kind of a really interesting way in which we can help shift those sort of perceptions um and there's also another one that launched a couple of weeks ago which is a free library of non-stigmatizing images of people experiencing homelessness um and that's through the center for homelessness impact i believe and again it's showing the kind of realities of you know someone living with homelessness um and it's kind of that shift away from perhaps, you know, someone um, sleeping in a in a doorway um, to, you know, families, for example. So it's it's showing that the people involved in some very kind of, you know, 
difficult um, social crises at the moment, should we say, they, you know, they, they are a mix of society. They, they are, they are us. They are people. Yeah, they definitely are. And I also think it's important to highlight what you've done there as well and the way you describe it, you know, to say people who are experiencing homelessness rather than saying a homeless person, because then you're almost putting them into this absolute state and putting that label on them rather than that actually they're seeking to not experience that and also kind of that mobility as well that action is required um you know to work with them and to find a solution for that the pain that they're going through and similar to the shift in referencing um asylum seekers as people seeking asylum and I think that's really important to think about that because that also helps with the framing of that individual yeah it's kind of taking that step back I think and thinking about you know maybe if you were in that position how would how would you want to be represented yes and I think this reminds me of the TED talk um the danger of a single story where um she describes growing up and um I can't remember um the the place that she grew up in but she grew up in a place where it's very warm and all that she could read were books about snow <laughs> so she always thought about where you know what is this thing has, that's called snow and actually um we then have that certain perception of certain people as we read the books and we form a certain like that is not how everyone experiences life like we all we don't all experience snow where we live, for example. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that comes back to um, the idea of having several stories. And then she goes on to talk about how you actually make someone feel like they're more represented when you say you tell different stories about them because we're not all one singular thing. We're not, uh, I might not be just um, a graphic designer, I might just not be um, a wife. You know, yeah. um, um, all of those things at once. But when often when people are in distress, they are just labeled with that one thing. And that makes it difficult for people to kind of see themselves in that situation as well. And when you know you have a similarity with someone, then you're more encouraged to do something, which is so important, especially in the charity field, that people feel like they can engage and they can contribute um, and do some good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting um, what you said there because all of us are made up of so many different aspects of who we are when none of us are one thing. Um, so as communicators, you know, we have the opportunity to to be helping people tell their stories and showing that as well that, you know, None of us are just one thing and everything kind of intersects a lot as well. Um, So I think that's really interesting. 
Yes. So what does um, inclusive and accessible communication mean to you? That's a hard one because that's a big one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, I don't have a definitive answer on that, I'll say, because, you know, um, I'm still I'm still working on trying to be better myself. (laughs) I'm learning as I go. (laughs) Um, So I think being inclusive and accessible to me means kind of making sure everyone has a voice and creating that space, that space for people to be heard, to share their experiences, to share, you know, kind of how they feel, um, who they are with the world. Um, And I think part of that so that's kind of like kind of inclusive and accessible. But part of it is making it easy for people to be, you know, a part of our communications. So involving them from the kind of from the outset and also removing any barriers that we can. Um, so I guess this one's slightly more on accessibility because, um, well, as as you know, Yanina, but um, the audience might not know, um, I got to work on a accessible communications resource uh, last year for charity comms, and I got to speak to kind of experts from accessibility charities across across our membership who were amazing and helped me kind of think about some of the issues that were involved, and a lot of it was breaking down kind of barriers for people so that people can get involved um taking the view that kind of no one should be excluded because um of an accessibility need or even an accessibility preference um and as communicators thinking about not just the communications we put out that we're creating but the actual delivery mechanisms of it as well I think is very important to include to include everyone and to make it accessible for everyone to kind of get involved I would definitely link that in the um, episode notes because it's brilliant and so in-depth and one of the things um that I was I've been thinking about if people are thinking about like speaking to someone virtually, what are some of the things that they can do to create a better or more inclusive or accessible um, environment if they're, for example, hosting a webinar? Sure. Um, so I think it's thinking about the different ways um, that you can make it sort of accessible in, in different elements. Um, so with a webinar, I'd suggest that you kind of have something like a transcription service running alongside it, for example. So at Charity Comms, we use Otter AI. So we have a transcript going um, while the event is running um, and you can follow along in real time. And then after our events, um, we go through and kind of edit it to make sure, because obviously with uh, automatic transcriptions, sometimes mistakes can come through. Um, so we kind of edit it to make sure that it, it is reading correctly so that we can make that available after the event as well. Um, you might want to consider things like kind of 
communicating whether or whether people want to have their camera on or off because I know that for some people it's quite distracting to have kind of you know seeing themselves and seeing uh, what they're trying to follow at the same time Um, I myself sometimes find that quite difficult if there's a lot of faces and you're you know you're trying to do two things at once um so kind of communicating that that's all right if you want to turn off your camera if that helps um you can do that thinking about kind of subtitling content as well so you know post an event if you're picking things out making sure that people could you know they they can put on subtitles if they want to um any images, making sure there's alt text on them if you're providing them afterwards as part of a resource pack. Um, I think also just inviting people to let you know if they have any accessibility needs ahead of time um, so that you can make sure that you can try to create something that, you know, is, is accessible to them as well. So various things to think about. I mean, like reading, subtitling, um, sound, uh, possibility of getting a signer in perhaps. Um, So many different things to kind of think about, I'd say. That's brilliant. Um, And it it does make you think about once you write the alt text about what is important in that image as well. And it's very interesting about what you're like drawn to. And I used to think, you know, just saying headshot is fine. And then someone who had a visual impairment then said, okay, I have no idea what kind of headshot. Like, are you inside, outside? Like, is it in color? What are you wearing? I said, oh, gosh, like, haven't thought this through at all. (laughs) And so it makes makes you really think about um, your communication and being very concise as well because you don't want them to you know have to read lots of you know um to but also the details really important and it just communicates that I think warmth as well that someone has thought about you which is really lovely okay brilliant wow we've already discussed lots and would you like to tell the audience a little bit more about um charity comms oh yes of course I'd love to (laughs) um so Yep, Charity Comes. As I said, we are a membership organisation for charity communicators. Um, So primarily peer-to-peer sharing. Um, That's kind of our model. Uh, it's, It's wonderful, really, because there is so much knowledge and expertise in the sector. And there is such a willingness um, from people to share, to share what they've learned. Um, and I really do believe kind of we can learn so much from each other. So that's kind of what we are generally. Um, and we kind of deliver this peer-to-peer sharing in various different ways. We run we run events on kind of hot topics um, that are happening for the sector or kind of themes where we get a lot of questions. Um, we also have kind of blogs, which I look after, which go out twice a week. And that's where our members actually share their advice and their tips and we try to make them as kind of actionable as possible I'd say so the idea being that the reader can go away feeling empowered 
um, to either try something new for themselves or to be able to go away and ask the right questions. Um, Because I'd say as a communicator myself, sometimes it's about knowing what questions to ask um, and kind of feeling confident in that. So that's kind of our, you know, our general delivery. Um, We also have a mentoring scheme, which is brilliant because obviously that's then kind of matching people up one to one. Um, And we also create best practice guides and long form resources. So as I mentioned, um, the one we did, it's about a year ago now, um, is our accessible comms resource, which is full of advice and practical tips and thinking points, um, again, contributed to from kind of the sector uh we've also got one on brand which was written by two wonderful experts um who work on charity brands and have done for years um that's dan defoe and max dubois and um they kind of generously obviously shared their expertise and we crafted that into uh, a guide to kind of help people with their brand thinking we have one on well-being which our amazing trustee Kirsty marins um penned um so there's you know there's a lot of things that we create and we create them based on what our members and the sector are kind of telling us they need Um, so we develop our resources um, based on kind of feedback and conversations that we have with them and then we kind of we create them and we keep adding to them as we go so we've recently added new sections to our guides for example and that is with the support of the sector trying to help each other and I think that's quite um I guess it's it's quite a unique model, but it's a really nice one to be a part of. Oh yes, and like you you're showing everyone some of the ways that they could do it. I mean, um, it's it's fascinating how you're doing it because a lot of people, you know, struggle to do the things that they're doing. They're telling other people to do, whereas you're like ahead of <laughs> of the curve, and you're you you create that momentum that people want to join you and um, that people can share and learn from each other. So that's really wonderful. Oh, we're only, you know, able to do this because of our members um, and because the sector is such a giving place. We wouldn't be able to do it without the support of everyone. Um, it really is, it's their expertise, you know, they're sharing it. Um, we're just helping facilitate it. Oh, that's brilliant. You're doing a great job and the members are really inspiring as well. Oh, it's brilliant. Oh, thank you so much, Christine, for your time. I really enjoyed our conversation. I will link in some of the things that you mentioned in the podcast episode notes and I hope to speak to you again soon. Oh, great. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, thank you for inviting me on. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. I'm Bispired.